Hi guys, this is Sheldon. In this episode of Beta Mode, I interviewed Tomiwa Igun, co-founder and COO of Senfai, as he narrates his journey from facing power instability in Nigeria as a teenager to launching a sustainable energy initiative, Sunfi, a fintech platform he helped create to boost clean energy adoption across Nigeria. Sunfi aims to provide techno-economic solutions that provide African communities with affordable solar panels to address power issues facing these regions. Tomiwa underscores the importance of embracing calculated risks and fostering strong relationships for entrepreneurial success in the dynamic field of sustainable energy and in any business endeavor. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everyone, and welcome to today's episode. We're joined by Tomiwa Igun, co-founder and COO of Sunfi, as we explore the empowerment of African households through easy and affordable clean energy technology. Hi, Tomwa. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you here. And how we typically start these episodes off is by you introducing yourself. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and your journey to your current role? Absolutely. So again, the name is Tamiwa Igun. I'm one of three co-founders at Sunfi. I'm the COO, Nigerian. I think for me, my journey started when I was a teenager. So I finished high school relatively early. I was going to be moving to the U.S. for college, and um, I was idle. All I did was play video games and soccer. And trying to be productive at the time, I convinced my mom to let me use her shop. She wasn't actually really using it. And instead of playing video games at home, I figured I could take my video game there, still play video games, but then also charge kid, other kids around the neighborhood to, uh, to play video games. And that's how I started my first business. And I think, honestly, my journey towards power and my interest and passion started there because I would get to the shop in the morning, there might be no power, I wouldn't know if to stay, if to go back home, there might be no power literally the whole day. Sometimes it's right after I left, the next day they'll be like, ah, oh, they brought the power right when you, right after you left. Sometimes I've gotten people to come into the shop, the place is packed, they're waiting to take turns, people have paid, and then they take the power, and then I need to give these kids back their money, and that really hurt. So the first business decision I made was buy a fuel generator. And that really bothered me as a 15-year-old teenager. I, I think I was quite naive at the time. And so I thought, man, I'm going to study electrical engineering and focus on power because I want to help fix this issue. So I actually changed my interest from computers to electrical <laughs> because of that experience. And I don't regret it, actually. So I ended up studying, you know, ended up moving to the U.S., studied electrical engineering at Howard University, uh, HU did my thesis, well, actually focused in power systems. And then initially, actually, I did not work in power. So they were, I did a leadership development program at Daimler Chrysler at the time. And I think that honestly stemmed from, I'd gotten a fellowship my freshman year with General Motors. So I just did a bunch of internships with them. And then this opportunity came up. So I took a detour is the way I see it, but it was actually a very valuable detour because it was a rotational leadership program. I got to get my master's in electrical engineering from the University of Michigan. And yeah, one of the rotations I did was actually on uh, hybrid vehicles. So where we were developing vehicles with uh, Mercedes and BMW at the time. And so I got a lot of experience with batteries, battery technology at the time, which later on is relevant. And then I also did a really interesting rotation for me in product strategy. And not many people are familiar with the car's development cycle, but it takes about, well, then it used to take about five years to develop a car. So a car that's released this year, they started working on it about five years ago. And that really piqued my interest from a business side because I was basically an engineer. And I think that carried with me. So I really enjoyed that rotation. It was actually my last rotation before I finished the leadership development program. And so it got me more interested in the business side of things and strategy and how you, you, know, how you think through products. And fast forward, Mercedes sold Chrysler. Chrysler filed for bankruptcy. I didn't feel like working for a company that had just filed for bankruptcy, so I left. <laughs> and that's where I was able to start pursuing my passion in power. So I ended up working for a power engineering consultant firm. At this point in time, I was in Delaware. And yeah, it was really wonderful job. Learned a ton. Again, it was right down my alley in terms of my interests. However, my group did nuclear power. So we were advising on nuclear power plants. And the more I learned about nuclear, the more I felt like it wasn't relevant for Nigeria. And given that my passion and my interest was in Nigeria, I decided that I didn't really want to become a nuclear expert because I didn't think it was transferable or practical on ground. Just a lot of regulations. You had to be very 
careful in the way you interact with the with the plants and its assets. Uh, and so that's where I started to explore business school because I also started to realize my 15-year-old naive self thought I could be an engineer and help fix Nigeria's power issues, but our issues are actually not engineering related. And so I got more interested in what would be more impactful. And that's where I felt like business strategy, policy, finance, that's where the real differentiators were. And so ended up, yeah, exploring business school, decided that went to Harvard, which was a great experience. And for me, that's really where I started to pursue that passion that I had developed as a teenager because I was able to write a case study on the prioritization of the power sector, which was taking place at the time. And that really exposed me to, one, where the challenges were, like in-depth, where the opportunities were, and then also just got me connected to many of the stakeholders at the time. Uh, And it was a really cool experience. The case actually got taught in class the following year. So one of my prouder moments at Uh, from my Harvard experience. But what it did was really enlighten me on what sort of opportunity we had on our hands with the prioritization and how it can change the trajectory of, at least what I thought the trajectory of our economic development and kind of would color the experience I had as that 15-year-old. I run a small business. So I deferred my offer with the Boston Consultant Group, moved to Nigeria and actually did an internship with one of the companies I had interviewed while we were developing the case. And uh, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. Actually, it was the Africa Finance Corporation. And so they did infrastructure development across the continent, but they were very heavily interested in the prioritization in Nigeria. And so I really got a well-rounded experience because even though I was involved in the assets they were interested in participating in Nigeria, I was also heavily involved in the development of a plant in Ghana. So I got to see the contrast between power plant development in Ghana and Nigeria and then some power stuff that they were doing across the continent as well. I'm not sure how to put this lightly, but my experience in that prioritization was very disappointing um, because I felt like we wasted a unique opportunity. And to this day, I actually don't know why the process was run the way it was. The minister at the time was the case protagonist when I was developing the case. I thought he was pushing the envelope quite well. Um, But a number of things happened. We got fired. And uh, yeah, and that's where I, I got involved in. To be honest, I think people were just buying black boxes at the time because mm-hmm. uh, I think one anecdote for me was I went on a due diligence trip and it was, I can't remember how many bidders, but they basically gave us a group tour of an old power plant. And that just didn't make sense to me because even if you're buying a house, you would bring your plumber, you bring your electrician to kind of explore and investigate and test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this was a power plant. It's not a brand new plant. It's one that's literally on its last legs. And then they give us a group tour and then give us physical access to a data room. And then we, we could make copies of manuals. Like that just seemed like a, a very juvenile process to buy million, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of assets. And so I just felt like people didn't really know what they were getting themselves into with that process. Or maybe they did and thought they could maneuver skillfully, but it hasn't really panned out. So anyway, watched things play out, was really disappointed, left Nigeria took my job at BCG because I felt like, man, we butchered this opportunity. And that was very disappointing because it was, it was, again, it was this eureka moment for me. But I think as God would have it, I, uh, I was doing power projects at BCG, sometimes would dabble into solar because that was typically part of the, the value proposition. And I started to realize, wait, maybe solar is actually, if the grid's not going to work and people will keep using fuel generators, maybe solar is an opportunity. And so mm-hmm. that's where the idea was planted. Ruti, me and I had met while we were in business school. He had a, he was at Duke at the time and attended, uh, that's my one of my co-founders, he had attended the Africa Business Conference at Harvard. So we had connected, shared similar interests in power. Yeah, and then we kind of bonded over some nonprofit work we were doing. I was helping run something called Young African MBAs. He was helping his now brother-in-law run something called Move Back to Nigeria. And we collaborated on a couple of things. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how everything got started. So we started a company called Aspire Power Solutions, actually partnered with uh, another gentleman in Nigeria. Our goal then was just to become like an operator, installing power, so clean energy solutions for customers. But we also quickly realized that solar is very CapEx heavy. So in Nigeria, people are buying fuel and fuel is OPEX. So they can buy fuel every day. They can buy fuel whenever they have money. They can buy it every two days. With solar, it's all upfront. And so we would always run into this roadblock of people either didn't have the funds to put in upfront or 
didn't want to put all that money up front. And so the little equity we had raised, we had to use it to start offering finance. And I think we managed to run the business pretty effectively, but we couldn't scale it because the banks would not give us the funds we need to be able to offer more payment plans or more financing. And we weren't able to raise enough funds that wants to, to do. And so in 2021, we decided we were going to focus on what we thought was would be a more scalable model, which is basically making sure we could solve the problems that we as Aspire at the time were facing because the space was getting more competitive, fuel prices were rising, the grid was still bad. Many people were seeing the opportunities with solar because even the solar assets, their costs were going down. Yeah. So that's how we kind of embarked on the SunFight journey with the aim to solve the pain points that we were, that solar providers were facing in Nigeria. And then with the goal to expand beyond Nigeria at some point. And so yeah, in 2022, we launched in Nigeria and it's been a wild ride ever since. A really fun one, but yeah. So this journey towards founding of SunFi really began for you when you were 15 years old and you were disappointed that you didn't have power at the time. And that really inspired you to pursue engineering, but this was also due to your passion for Nigeria as a country. So can you tell us about where this inspiration to make a change within our country comes from? Because I'm also Nigerian, for those of you listening, and how you were able to follow through on that. Because a lot of us have a passion to do something, but if you're one of those that's actually taking some initiative to combine your engineering, your business expertise with your passion. So where does that inspiration come from for you? And how are you able to keep uh, pushing forward? Yeah, they say there's no place like home, right? And I honestly can't explain it. Like, it's probably irrational. <laughs> I just got back. So I live in Houston, even though I commute to Lagos. And pretty much every time I was in Nigeria last year, there was fuel scarcity, right? And think about that, not just for the people trying to power their generators, but even for movement, right? It makes it, traffic was just crazy because everyone's queuing at gas stations, at film stations. And I say that to just say, Nigeria is hectic, <laughs> There's no power, there's no water, there's all kinds of stuff. But I love it. I love the energy in Lagos. I enjoy the entrepreneurial spirit, the hustle in everyone. People are trying to get somewhere quicker. Sometimes they appear crazy because they're trying to just take wild leaps. But there's a reason for it. There's a hunger. And I think that's that's quite energizing for me. But honestly, I don't know that I can point to... I just I think it just feels like home, right? And I think my heart remains there. I think my heart has always been there. Even all the years I was in college and grad school and working and business school, I always had ties, strong connections to Nigeria. And I think that power thread has always been there. I think it's easier now to kind of paint a picture that kind of ties things really nicely. But as that 15-year-old kid, I didn't really have foresight into the fact, in fact, the fact that I'll be here today. In fact, when I was in business school, I didn't even take entrepreneurial courses because I didn't envision myself in a startup. And so I think looking back, I think I've just been able to take advantage of opportunities that were aligned with my passion for Nigeria and for power or for trying to fix the, help fix the power or contribute to fixing the power issues that Nigerians were facing. And I think given that kind of as the North Star, I think I've just been able to kind of find and take opportunities as they came along. Because I think those those two things, Nigeria and power, I think were very relevant. One interesting fact actually was at the end of business school, they selected, I think it was 32 of us who had written essays. A bunch of people had written essays on what would you do with your one wild life? So it was like, a they call it the HBS portrait project. And so I was one of those that was selected. And again, it was this same narrative of power, right? And I remember one one anecdote that sticks or that sticks to my mind is in the Olympics in Atlanta in 1996, Nigeria was playing Brazil. I think it was the semifinals. And it was like Nigeria was down 3-1 and then 3-2 and then the power cut out. And I vividly remember like my cousins just, it was just chaos because people were trying to speed down stairs to turn on the generator because we didn't want to miss the end of that game right mm -hmm. and I, again i was probably like i can't maybe like 10 at the time i can't remember 12 at the time or something but it just again it just stuck to me like man like this power thing just hits people in the most odd times and that was a football game that was a very monu monumental moment because we ended up winning that game and so you have these 
anecdotes everywhere. I remember in high school reading with uh, candle lights. There are tons of kids that do that. So it's just even those things are not safe, right? Not good for your eyes. Hear stories of places getting burned down. I know people who have died of smoke inhalation from generators, just all kinds of wild stuff, right? So yeah, I think the passion is really tied to those two things, Nigeria and power. And I think uh, I don't want to give myself too much credit. I think I've just been able to go my way back there. It's almost like going back home every time. <laughs> and we're back here with Tomwa Igun, where we've learned about his journey to his current position as COO of SunFi and what a journey it's been. So first of all, one, the audience to get some details around SimFi, really, what do you guys do and what problems are you trying to solve? Yeah, so what do we do? We're a clean energy fintech platform. So our mission, our goal, objective is to simplify and scale clean energy adoption, starting in Nigeria as a beachhead market and then hopefully expanding throughout Sub-Saharan Africa and, you know, globally. I think one way to think about our role in the market is we're actually an ecosystem player. So we don't actually do solar installations. What we do is we curate solar providers. So we vet them, onboard them on the platform. We aggregate solar demand either through those providers or directly on our platform for those providers to execute. And then we source for financing. So we're basically like a marketplace for solar, but we don't like to think about it as just a marketplace. It's more of a managed marketplace or a curated marketplace. And what that means is it's not like you're going to an open market and trying to figure it out. Like solar can be technical, right? Whatever you as a customer can kind of come on our platform and we would guide you to a solution that's the right size, it's optimized for your load, your critical needs, it saves you money, and we would then match you with vetted certified installers on the platform that are using equipment that are reliable and trustworthy. And so we basically take the headache off of you, right? So we're, we're basically a trust pilot. So you're not just showing up in the market and trying to figure it out. If you're a solar installer, we're also helping you to scale your business. So our job is to help you grow and so we're financing your customers. So whereas you might have lost certain sales because people didn't have all that money up front, working with SunFi, we can finance that customer. You make that sale. We can help you improve your operations because we're working with other high-quality solar providers. And those providers can actually be OEMs, so really big that do installations. They can be distributors that also do installations, much smaller than the OEMs. Or they could even be what we call associate installers, right? So just your mom-and-pop technician or electrician that you know is savvy enough to sell solar projects. And so we basically help them improve their sales, their operations, and better serve uh, their customers. But yeah, so we started, as I mentioned earlier, in 22 in Nigeria. At this point, yeah, we've kind of been working along a really exciting roadmap. So we've the platform is up and running. It's serving customers. Customers for us are either the solar providers. They use the platform. And then the end consumers who also use our platform. We've been kind of building our roadmap in what we call the SunFi universe. And so we are working now to bring financiers on the platform as well. So that way we close the loop. But so far, what we've done is been using our equity to basically finance these projects, prove the business out, show what we can do in terms of keeping defaults low and keeping customers happy. And yeah, and so that's kind of what we do in a nutshell. Yeah, that's a very good description. And you said that your company focuses more on the financial side. And so it's less technical, more financial. I do have a few questions about the technical side of the business for now. So actually, we like to think about it and sorry to, it's techno-economic is the way. We, so actually our okay. underwrite model is, we call it techno-economic because it does marry both the technical and the economic. And we think that's actually a, a critical value add because as I said, solar can be technical. It's not rocket science, but you need to know what size solution a customer needs. There are different key components, how big, how many panels, what size inverter what size batteries, how you can do other kinds of technical stuff. But ultimately, when we're trying to assess whether or not we should offer a payment plan to a customer, we are looking at both the technical and the economic. And that's why we call it a techno-economic underwriting model. And the technical is trying to say, ah, is this thing going to meet your critical needs? Is it going to be reliable for you? 
And then the economic is more tied to, am I saving you money? Do I think you're credit worthy in terms of your ability to pay and your willingness to pay? So maybe to answer your question, it's a mix of both. Actually. That's great. Thanks for the clarification. And so you basically provide details to the consumer regarding their choice of panel, whether it's best suited for them and their location. Do you provide any other support beyond just recommending which panel to purchase? I mean, do you provide any method of support or anything beyond the initial purchase of the actual panel? Yeah, no, great question. So again, I think as we consider our role as an ecosystem builder, we facilitate solar end-to-end. So think about the design, right? A provider can come on our platform and design an optimal solution for you because you could put in your load information. I want to power two air conditioners and two fridges and a the, the bunch of fans and laptops for my business, right? We are able to, platform is able to then optimize, right? And then give, spit out recommendations. So if you go from design to procurement, we can also help optimize the procurement of the, the items, logistics for those solar providers so that it's more efficient for them. We can offer financing. We can offer installation support. So imagine a solar provider in Lagos and that has a customer in Abia. They don't want to drive two installers or, or transport them over to Abia. So we're building, network, uh, we're building a network of vetted solar installers in different locations so they can leverage those. So providing support with installation there. And then after sales service, I think, again, the reason we think about ourselves as a trust pilot is if a customer is coming through us, we have very strong relationships with these solar providers. In fact, they want us to finance their next project. And so we, we bear a lot of weight on them, right? So if there's an issue, we're on it quickly. We're providing additional supports, troubleshooting, trying to make sure they give the customer the lightful experiences as quickly as possible. And so, yeah, so we do support. We don't do the actual all that work ourselves, but we leverage the solar providers. So we actually think about the solar providers as the heroes on our platform because they're either bringing customers to us to finance or they're helping execute projects for customers that came directly on our platform. I should say we try to focus on what we call productive use. So customers that are using those power solar assets to generate revenue or income or create wealth. And that's important because if you're just using it, just one of my co-founders says like Netflix and chill, it's a different value proposition. And if you need this then for your livelihood or for your business or, or if you're working from home, that's a productive use case as well. So yeah, no, yeah, we do provide supports end to end. Basically, we want to be that go-to platform for anything solar for now. And then we can talk about expansion. Plan. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. So it's not a situation where you purchase your panel through some FI and then you're tasked with installing and maintaining the panels yourself. Some FI is really there along the way. I think that's a very... That's a very useful solution that you guys provided. So you mentioned two locations. I think one of them was Lagos, but the other location you mentioned, that's also a Nigerian location. So are you providing the services to a particular region in the country? It's still a Nigerian-based company, right? So my assumption right now is that you guys are still operating in Nigeria. And if you are still operating in Nigeria, are you concentrated in a certain region? If you are, do you plan to expand any time soon to encompass a wider range of Nigerians who are in need of useful power and affordable clean energy technology? Right, right. Yeah, no, good question. But I think, again, because we are more of an ecosystem builder and we're not the ones like doing the actual installation, we have pretty big solar providers on the platform that do projects across the country. They bring those customers to us, we finance them, and then they go execute. Or those customers come directly to us and then we refer them to the right provider in the right region. And yeah, we're actually not limited, even though our operations are in Lagos, like that's where our, the bulk of our team members are. Yeah, we do. We've supported projects across the country. And I think that's the beauty of this model is, again, yes, right now, Nigeria is our beachhead market, but the plan is to expand. We just have our hands full right now in Nigeria. And so the, the ride is exciting enough. Uh, but the plan is that we can take that model and find that certified providers in Ghana and, and and Senegal and Gambia and other countries where we can kind of expand our operations eventually. But for now, yes, we've done projects. We've supported projects across the country through solar providers who, as I mentioned, are tr the true heroes on the platform. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Of course, once you perfect things back home, uh, you will then lead that expansion based off of the learnings that you've had in Nigeria. 
and that'll give you a lot of confidence when you're expanding to these other regions. I understand you guys are still pretty new as a company and you said you've had your hands full, but you're still growing. So you might not be able to give me the exact number right now, but how many Nigerians are currently on your platform? And uh, beyond that, of course, you're helping them with financing and giving them finances to purchase these panels. So how many of them are your platform and how would you handle situations where a potential large number of clients, those buying your panels, are unable to complete their payments? Yeah, no, good, good question. So I think one way to think about who's on the platform, again, is so there's the solar installer. Think about like Airbnb, right? Airbnb has tons of room accommodations through hosts, right? And so the beauty of that is we have X number of solar providers who are able to serve Y number of end customers. So they kind of amplify our reach, amplify our voice, amplify our impact, right? And yeah, I think for us, there's almost this multiplier because the other reason why that exists is a customer can be a small business and there might be 10, 20, 30 employees that are leveraging the assets in that location. But yeah, so anyway, or even if it's someone working from home, maybe they have siblings or other family members that can benefit from that. Then if it's a market woman, it might be just a one-man shop, but she's serving people that are enjoying this, these assets. So the impact is broader than just the number of end consumers. I think that was the first part of the question. What was the second part? So the second part was really, how would you manage situations where your customers... Right. Yeah, so <laughs> it's a good question. And I think that's one of the... I think that's one of the unique value propositions that we bring, right? We've spent years running a solar installation business where we've had to learn what does it take to make a customer happy with the little money we had, what does it take for them to pay back? And again, what we found that was that people pay, right? So if I'm, the way I like to think about it is if I do three things for you, it's very unlikely that you will not pay. If I save you money, if I meet your critical power needs, and if I give you an asset that is reliable, you're very like unless something crazy happens or unless you're crazy and you're for whatever. But that's why we do a bunch of diligence and do our credit checks and KYC and all of that, right? I think there's a lot of work that goes up front into making sure this our techno-economic underwriting world is robust. And I think we've put a lot of effort and work into that over time. And I think some of the things that do help us are we just have a good governance strategy up front to say, how do we want to execute? We have a target that we're working or we're benchmarking ourselves against. We go through a lot of diligence to assess the customer and make good decisions on those payment plans. We ensure that we have airtight contracts, right? That, that at least set things in place. And then there's just making sure the customer is happy. And then if we can close all the trust gap, because I do have a very low trust society. What we found is people pay and where they don't, we're able to kind of manage whatever the issues are either by collaborating with them to figure out what's going on, shutting the systems down, or basically going and repurpose or re retrieving our assets or repurposing. And I wanted to dive in a bit about the providers because it sounds like a lot of risks around using your platform would be attributed or I guess attributed to them, but they'd be responsible for it because they're the ones providing the actual products. So the customers expect these to work properly. And where are these panels typically from? Are there foreign providers that are you're working closely with? Or can anybody anywhere just decide, okay, I have some panels I want to sell. I can get on your platform. What's the vetting process like? And who are your typical providers? Yeah, yeah, no, so I think it's a mix, right? We have some local Nigerian uh, DNA providers, right? They actually, some of them even assemble locally. We have providers... So again, I would categorize the providers as like OEMs, distributors, and then like your mom and pops, right? So typically OEMs are typically entities that are driven by maybe larger corporates who have either global operations or have started in countries like Kenya or something and expanded into Nigeria. So they tend to be maybe global in nature or non-Nigerian. There are a few of them, again, that assemble locally and, and are Nigerian bred and grown. I think what you find is a lot of the distributors tend to be locals, so they're entrepreneurs, basically. And they build businesses that kind of leverage these different OEM products. So they tend to be more agnostic when it comes to OEMs. And yeah, and then the mom and pops are definitely local electricians, technicians. Yeah, people that are just hustling. <laughs> and yeah, so that's kind of the landscape. 
then even some of these foreign guys who are also important can start to also put their foot on the ground and assemble locally. But many of them, do dis- they do develop these distribution networks that are pretty robust. And that's good for, again, serving customers in different locations. Yeah, I think what we're excited about is as we grow and scale, also being able to kind of shape the technology innovations. There are a lot of nuances with Nigeria's power that sometimes what you find is, and that's why we also vet the equipment, because what you find is what worked in Kenya (laughs) may not work in Nigeria because the grid electricity is low quality, right? Maybe it's high voltage today, low voltage tomorrow, right? So that could damage products. You kind of need to make sure your products are robust and rigid enough to withstand the Nigerian electrical system, if you will. Yeah. Okay, and all of this, as you've described, is a marketplace that's driven by techno-economics, and you're basically standing there as an aggregator where you bring in the providers, you bring in the customers and the installers, and those would help maintain and eventually make other useful parties. But you're trying to tackle the problem. And to me, this sounds like two problems you're trying to tackle. It's affordability and lack of reliable energy or power. Because in some cases, we can't really rely on the grid. I mean, in many cases, we can't really rely on the grid. But can you talk me um, through some of your success stories that you've heard from customers and maybe even providers about what SunFi is doing and how it's tackling those um, key issues? Yeah, no. So, look, power is, uh, people say it's a human, right? Like, you need power to grow an economy. You need power to run your business. You need power to study at night. We need power for healthcare, right? I think we touch on so many different aspects of society. So we've had hospitals. We do what we call retail. Again, we focus on retail for productive. So retail just means below a certain size. At least that's our focus for now. And I think for us, some of the anecdotes that really excite me are the ones like someone who's running a school, right? And they were burning diesel. Um, Think about the noise pollution. Even just the carcinogens that are being, you know, displaced into the atmosphere. These kids, teachers, people are taking it in. And now they have an asset that is not noisy, it's reliable, saving them money. They can focus their funds on on more productive things. And so we have a few of those that have been very, very excited, you know, just from having reliable solar assets that's saving them money and that's meeting their critical needs. We've had uh, clinics, right? Some actually dealing with mental health, things that are truly impactful that you feel like, man, like we're actually touching people's lives from a health perspective. We have small, you know, ladies in in the markets who sell drinks and they need those drinks cool and they're able to leverage these solar fridges that we finance for them. And now they don't have to worry about to, you know, going to find ice blocks that they could need to put in the cooler to keep it cool, and you know, to, and so they can sell more and they can lower their cost of operation, the logistics involved. So they're they're generating wealth for themselves. I think that's from an end consumer perspective. You have the small businesses that people have, you know, run in pharmacies and trying to make sure they have enough cooling for specific drugs that you can't just have not so they they can avoid spending a lot of money on diesel. I think the other part. Again, is looking away from the end consumer and looking to who we call the heroes, is that technician who was unable to think about the story of someone who is trying to deliver a solar asset to you has to go to the market far away. Like there's a place called Alaba, right? That some of them go to pick up panels. He can't pick up everything because he doesn't have a car, so he has to go twice. So he's going to then go back to your location, drop off the panels, go back again, maybe pick up the batteries and converters. Right, that's a lot of hassle. Two days of unproductive commuting, costs involved. Then that guy also has to do a lot more work to sell because he obviously doesn't have access to financing. And again, the banks are not going to serve him. Oftentimes, not quickly serve the customer, can't serve the customers quickly enough. And so we're trying to really transform that person's life, right? Because with, through the platform, you can actually just have these assets drop ships at your location. <laughs> Right, so at least avoids all that hassle. If he was struggling to sell you before because you didn't have all that money up front, he can bring you to us. You can help him close that transaction. And so we've had some really powerful anecdotes from those kinds of guys where it's just one made their lives super easy, but now they're also able to sell a lot more, right? Where they're tripling or quadrupling their sales 
and also benefiting from the wealth of knowledge that we're able to pass on to them as we're trying to elevate the tide in terms of making sure all of these providers are delivering better services because they've associated themselves with our platform. And even some of the bigger providers, so those distributors that I talked about earlier, again, we've had similar anecdotes where, again, they're seen as much as triple their sales volumes before they join the SunFi platform. And then even if you think about those big OEMs, they wouldn't necessarily disclose how much <laughs> we're increasing their revenues, but we do know we're doing quite a bit with them as well. So it's a really, I would say it's a very rewarding space to be in. If you think about the climate impact, we might not hear the direct stories, but even if it's your neighbor that's running a fuel generator, it's affecting you, right? Mm -hmm. So we might not hear directly from you. Those are impact stories that are very dear to us, even if they're not direct to those come back. But we know we're creating a more livable environment that hopefully we can live for our kids as well. So, Yeah, I really appreciate that response, Tamra. And I'm sure our audience would as, as well and appreciate the level of detail you put into that one. Of course, you're building something for the community and... Of course, larger NGOs would benefit from this. So touching on those points, the schools, the hospitals, the individuals, the households, the providers, those mechanics, everyone is really impacted by this. So it's clear you guys are making an impact. So I also wanted to ask you about funding a little bit because this is maybe like your first year, one year plus, right? So how's the funding journey been? How's it been difficult to raise funding? and? Where are you looking at for funding? Are you looking at U.S. funding? Are you looking abroad? Are you looking within the country? Where are you trying to raise money from and how successful has SunFi been regarding that? Yeah, look, the funding journey is a tough one. I think the market generally has kind of, is a lot more cautious. I actually think that's not a bad thing. I think there was a period where if you said fintech, people were just throwing money at you. <laughs> and I think we've gotten to a place where investors are being a lot more thoughtful, a lot more diligent and I think that's that's good long term even for the African ecosystem. I think I guess we the way we thought about funding was we needed to prove out our model with equity. So basically take our own risk, take the risk on our balance sheet and show that we can kind of offer these payment plans, delight customers that are really excited to even pay us back. And for some of them we're actually seeing growth where they're asking for more. It's like, ah, I'm kind of biggest shop. My business is doing better. Yeah. So I think the whole purpose is, look, it's going to be hard to go convince banks or lenders to give us money to go do this. And so we need to basically, yeah, sink our teeth in and prove things out. And I think that's what we've done, right? So we're very fortunate. We raised our seed ground, closed it at the end of last year, it was announced this year. But I think where we're moving to now is going off of just using equity because you also can't scale a business with equity, because at the end of the day, we will probably own nothing because we'll keep getting diluted the more we can. Right. And so now it's really just trying to close. Now, to your question, yeah, fundraising is hard. <laughs> it took us a long time to close that seed round. I think we were very fortunate. We had some. We have some really good investors that have been very supportive, and I think we're seeing maybe that journey get a little bit easier <laughs> as we go along because we have their support. I think they, they really believe in what we're doing. I think we have good relationships. And they've been able to continue to offer strategic value that and connections that hopefully make the next set of fundraising a bit easier. Now that's on the equity side. I think one thing that maybe some of the listeners might be aware of is there's this kind of gap in fundraising, especially with debt. If you were trying to raise like 20 grand, maybe 100 grand, it's probably, if you have the right networks and the right opportunity, you could probably raise that. If you're trying to raise... Two million, it's a bit tough <laughs> in debt, right? So there's yeah. this value, this gap. It's the death value where it's like, <laughs> yeah, you just don't have a lot of financiers funding in that block. If you're trying to raise a hundred million, it's actually probably much easier than you know, trying to raise two million because you've reached a certain scale. The DFIs are happy to jump into that. Many of them think, well, the amount of effort I'm going to put into giving you a million. It may be around the same, maybe it's slightly less, but then what I would do giving you a hundred million. So I'd rather put my effort into a hundred million because I get more bang for my buck. Ah, okay. So so I think I think it's something that we are basically then trying to solve. And I think we're making good strides. But yeah, but fundraising is tough both on the equity and the debt side. I think we've been fortunate because again, I think we've been able to prove certain things out. We're also in an interesting time where 
a lot of people are realizing that the climate needs to be protected. I know you also leave, live in Houston, Shell, and this summer was unbearably hot. <laughs> Very. We've heard of, yeah, we've heard of all kinds of climate-related issues around the world, really. So I think there's a lot more fun than looking to go into this space, and that's good. And I think we'll see a lot more innovation, actually, even over the coming years from us and from other players as well. Well, congratulations on a successful seed round. And of course, we hope the other funding stages are just as successful. And speaking of the future, let's talk short-term and long-term. Short-term being one year, tell us where you see SunFi in one year. And when you're done with that, can you also share with us where you envision SunFi to be in five years plus? It's a good question. So I think a year from now, I think our platforms continue to evolve. We're building out that universe I mentioned. You know, there are some specific things, like we're trying to build this project, like module, where it manages projects end-to-end. There's a lot of benefits to that for the providers and even the customers. I think from the funding side, you know, we'll probably do, hopefully we'll close another smaller bridge round, and then maybe at the end of next year, be doing our Series A. So that'll be towards the H2 of 24. On the debt side, we've unlocked uh, millions of dollars in debt. Uh, we can use the channel directly through the, to these assets. So that way we're able to support many more providers on our platform because right now we can't take everyone in. And then that way, again, we have amplified impact because each provider on the platform is giving us access to several customers or helping us install for several customers and expanding our reach. We're working with a year from now, we have more OEM supports with more funding so we can really channel helping them to iterate quickly to better serve the, the customer base. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think those are some highlights for where we hope to be in a year. If we look forward to five years, I think there we start to look more actively at some of our expansion efforts, right? So I think the platform itself is probably adding a lot more value to the providers. So where they could basically probably be running their business is on our platform uh, seamlessly and more effect- effectively and efficiently. We are, you know, at that point, hopefully we've expanded into different countries, both in Africa and who knows other markets. We're supporting more of those impact stories that we talked about beyond what we can even envision now in terms of what we're helping these guys in Nigeria, but we're starting to look at maybe even Cote d'Ivoire and parts of North Africa. And I've just been deliberate about uh, geographical expansion, but we haven't really thought that far in terms of where would we expand into in five years geographically. Yeah, data, we've built out a map really, because actually that's one thing I didn't talk about in the near term, but we're starting to really ramp up our data efforts. But I think in five years, I think that's that should be really advanced in terms of just how we leverage analytics for uh, many of the things that we're doing. Yeah, and then we've been able to unlock hundreds of millions of dollars for this asset class in this market from these providers. And the way we like to think about it is we could be this last mile, right? So again, you as a DFI might not be interested in doing a million here, 500K here, but we as an aggregator, we can be that channel where, yeah, give us a hundred million and then we can kind of channel and break it down to that last mile to really touch those that really need it, but can access it. So yeah, it's kind of the way to think about it. Yeah, I love the detail of the plan there. The global expansion, as you just mentioned, and I think you brought that up earlier as well. You, you, you test out in Nigeria, do a solid job there. And then once you've grown there, you then apply these solutions to other countries while factoring their own needs and their own unique issues. And I just want to wish you all the best as you tackle this problem. Bringing affordable and clean energy technology to African households is no easy feat. But wish you every bit of success in every stage on this journey as you work towards this goal. Thank you, Shil. back here with Tomiwa Igun, co-founder and CEO of SunFi, a platform that gives Nigerians access to affordable, clean energy technology in the form of solar panels by connecting them with providers, installers, and those who will help maintain these panels. So Tomiwa, it's been great to hear about your story and about SunFi and the details of your startup. Now, we want to sort of wind down and ask you another question and take as much time as you need to answer this. 
Let's say Tomiwa, 15 years old, or 10-year-old Tomiwa, as you've referenced throughout this interview, were to meet you today. What would your advice be to them and people like them growing up in Nigeria, trying to make it while dealing with unreliable electricity and other issues that are taking place in the country right now? What would your advice be to that person? Yeah, so I think this is always a tricky question to answer, but it's also a good one to ask, right? I think I would say a number of things, and I think it obviously stems from my personal experiences and what I would see as, I wouldn't say mistakes, but yeah, just learnings along the way and from obviously interacting with other people. I think it's important to know, I would tell my younger self, truly think about what matters to you. And try to be clear about that because it's a really difficult question to answer in the long run, right? So it's easier to say what matters to me today. Hopefully I live a lot longer, so I should be tying that to what I think will matter to me in 5, 10, 15 years. And that's a really difficult question to answer, but I think just really investing and reflecting on that I think is important. I think why that's important is while... My younger self probably needed to be rigid about certain things. I also needed to be probably a bit more flexible about certain things. And I think I mentioned, for example, when I was in business school, I hadn't exposed myself enough to thinking about the possibilities of, if I know I want to create impact in Nigeria in the power space, for whatever reason, I didn't think entrepreneurship was uh, a route for that. I actually thought about it more as me being a consultant, which maybe in some ways is, could have been entrepreneurship, but I, I didn't broaden my horizon enough. And so that's rigidity of men. I have this passion, this vision, but I need to be flexible in the way I think, and I need to expose myself in ways that expand my possibilities. I think part of that then is also maybe saying, yeah, do pursue those dreams, right? Because they might evolve, they might, but don't. I, you don't need to figure everything out, right? Because again, like I said, it's easier now when I look back, I can see so many threads and see how they connect, but it would have been impossible for me to chart all of that then as to where I am now. And in the same way, it's probably very impossible for me to try where I'll be in another five, 10 years. So for me, that kind of like just pursuing those dreams, again, maintain some level of flexibility, but knowing that I just don't, I should not limit myself to what I know now, I think, or what, or what I knew then would, be, would have been critical. And then I think a thread that kind of just carries through is just continue to learn continue to grow and continue to create impact. And I think that's been something that's I've seen always work is if you're creating value, you're learning and you're growing, I think there's the world is as your oyster. And I think this has benefited me a lot actually is just build good relationships. I think that is what one I would say even do better to my younger self, but relationships come in handy in so many ways. There are times when you feel down, good people will pick you up. There are times when you need to hear the honest truth, good people will tell you that. There are times where you need a pat on the back, sometimes you need a stick, but it's just having good people around you to share moments, you know, show love. I think that's important. And then enjoy enjoy the ride. I think, again, because it's hard to kind of plan everything out, is just take each moment as it comes and make sure you, you know, enjoy it. And I think that's one thing I'm learning to do better myself, actually, just in my current self, because I think the tendency is to always look at what's next. And not really take the time to reflect and enjoy the now and just let even the small wins settle in. And so one of the big things we actually push with as we sunfire core values is like, not want to celebrate our wins, right? And it's, yeah, it's like big, small. And I think that's always a reminder to say, hey, take a pause. I know you're already looking at the, what's the next thing, but truly enjoy this moment and celebrate and then pause and let it sink in. And yeah, I think, yeah. And those are probably things I should tell my sons, actually. <laughs> They're still young enough, and maybe they'll listen to me. Or anyone, really, because, I mean, what you're saying, this advice, I feel anyone can really benefit from it. One, one stood out to me for what you said is the solution can come from anywhere. And I guess just being flexible about what the solution looks like. You study engineering, and for a while, it sounds like you're thinking, okay, the solution is going to be an engineering solution, not an entrepreneurial one. And just keeping an open mind and being flexible about what the potential solution could be to your problem and not being rigid. Okay, I studied this in college, therefore I should do this. I think that mindset might be limiting. And 
entrepreneurship, as you mentioned, can be a very useful avenue in impacting change. So that's very good advice, and I'm surely going to take it. The other one was about building relationships, and of course, you never know who you're going to need along the way. So I really, really resonate with that, I mean, what you said regarding that. But any 10-year-old, any 15-year-old, just anyone who is willing to improve and, and is all about self-improvement, I think those would be very useful tips for them. Yeah, no, you're right. And actually, maybe one thing I should say as well is take risk. I am very, like, I like to take calculated risk. But honestly, if you don't take risk, you'll never get the reward. I remember when I was quitting my job at BCG, people thought I was crazy, <laughs> right? Honestly, at some points, I thought I was crazy. <laughs> I think, yeah, you just, you don't, you don't. I don't think people should take, everyone should decide what they're comfortable with. But I'm also not one that would just take, like, just random risk. I, I like to take calculated risks. And I think, yeah, I think more of us should do that. Actually, I feel like that's a handicap sometimes. And sometimes it just requires planning. It's like if you plan well enough, then maybe it allows you to take on more risk um, because you can kind of build some buffers and some railroads or some guardrails. But, um, but I think that's another big one is just knowing when to take calculated risks and sometimes getting out of the comfort zone as well. So, yeah. Thanks for all the advice. And uh, lastly, what we typically do on the show is we want to know who would be another guest you think would be ideal for us to interview? Who do you have in mind? Recommend somebody. So in this space, I think, uh, and maybe this first one is just because she's also spent a lot of time in Houston <laughs> and kind of does the shuttle as well. But uh, Ugwe Maneo of, of Shift, I think maybe you know she could be a good one. Interesting journey as well. And then there's one of our partners, um, Femi Adeyemo of Carnegie. I think, yeah, both of them are in this space. And uh, I guess I'm sticking to Nigeria and sticking to, to my, my space here. <laughs> okay. Well, to our audience, if you've, uh, you've heard those uh, two people, feel free to check them out and support them. And we'll definitely keep them in mind for future episodes. And support Tumwa Igun, his startup SunFive, a great platform that we believe is going to make an impact not only in, I guess, in broader sense, um, energy technology, in Nigeria, but also um, in terms of e-commerce, because it's really a blend of both. And that actually does it for us here today. It was great having you on the podcast. It was great hearing about your story and your journey and details around your startup and all the tips you gave to us regarding just being curious, taking risks, enjoying the ride, and being flexible about what the solution could be. We really appreciate your insight on that and best of luck. It's going to be a long journey, but I am pretty sure you'd be able to stand strong and succeed. Thank you so much, you know, and the rest of the Beta Collective team. You guys do an awesome job. Thank you.